wonderful as ever. So it's a new series, and um, like I said, it's always wonderful to be able to start a new series and share what really is a culmination of many weeks and actually months of reading and studying, and, uh, and my heart and my prayer is over the next few weeks that you will be, uh, you'll be encouraged and you will learn and you will, more than that, will actually hear from God Himself uh, about His heart when it comes to worship. That's our new series. Um, you can just about see the TV back there. It says worship. That's all right. <laughs> wow, that was really dramatic. Thank you, babe. There's no point in me saying anything because everyone's just going to watch you now. The reason we do this, by the way, is so that when we video it, it can actually be seen on screen. Thank you, love. And um, uh, so here's what we're going to start with. When I, when I started studying worship, it was actually very interesting. We had this brief discussion in prayer this morning. There, it, it's actually, there's, there's this, this sense of worship all over the scriptures, but when it actually comes to teaching about worship... Uh, then you actually have to pull a lot of different things together. And I quickly realized that before we actually talk about what worship is, and, and I will tell you straight off, it is far more than what we've just done. As wonderful as that is, it is far more than just uh, singing. But before we even get to that, there's a couple of questions over the next two weeks that we, we really need to address before we land and look at what practical worship is like on a day-to-day basis because some of you already may be thinking, man, you know, when the worship starts, when the singing starts, I can appreciate what's going on 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 the stage, but it's not, I'm not connecting with it. And that's not the band's fault. That's not your fault. It's just that we're all wired differently. So from the straight off, I want to say that worship is something very, very different, something far bigger and far more life-impacting on a day-to-day basis than what we have just done right now. So today I'm going to ask you a very, very important question. In fact, I would say that this question is the most life-changing and defining question that the Bible asks us and we can ask for ourselves. Now, that's a, that's a big statement. But this question literally, depending on your answer, underlies all other questions that you could ask in life. It's a question, depending on your answer, that will define your relationships. If you are married or you intend to be married, it will define what kind of husband and wife you will be. It will define your friendships. It will define what kind of person you are, whether you're at work or if you're a business owner, if you're an employee, if you're retired. It will define the kind of person that you are on a day-to-day basis. This question is so fundamental, it will actually it will determine... How you answer it will determine how you respond when people talk to you. It'll even determine, I believe, on some level, the kind of look in your eyes and your body language. It's not a question that is only for people who would define themselves as Christians. It's a question, actually, that stretches itself all over mankind. It will determine every aspect of your life. It will even determine how people react to you and whether or not you are likable. It gets to the intricacies of who you are, this question. And it is not 
before, the, you know, because I was thinking, what would I be doing now? If I was, if I was you, I'd be going, okay, I'm going to try and figure out what this question is. And I bet it is, what do you worship? It's not. In fact, this question, actually worship, that question is an important question, but it follows this question. This question will determine the answer to that question. And here's the challenge with the question. It's not easily answered because often the answer that we give to this question is not the reality. Actually, the answer to this question emerges from your life and you can pinpoint it. You can actually write it down. But the process of getting to that is not easy because the answer comes very, very quickly. So what is the question? I'm going to tell you in a second. More than anything, Christianity is about life transformation. We talk about Christianity in terms of more than just a day-to-day hobby or something good that we want to bring our kids up in or something that even as a, as a country, certainly in Britain, we would still define ourselves as a Christian nation. It's far more than that. Christianity is about life transformation. And if it doesn't transform us and change us, then really it's nothing. Everything Jesus did, everything that he came to say and do was all pointed towards his desire to see us change. And actually, we live in a culture where we promote the idea of change everywhere. Uh, I was, I've, been very, I've been thinking about this a lot. So when you go into shops and you know, they're, they're very clever, they put all the magazines uh, just next to where you, you do the, the, the till, where you do the checking out. And so you stood there waiting, you're looking at this trash like right in front of you about so-and-so having an affair with so-and-so and and this person looks this way and how did they get their their summer hair looking so great and I'm like I don't care just I just want to pay for my stuff and leave but there's this underlying statement that these magazines make and they're generally in the columns around the edges of the they, they suggest that you're not quite good enough Have you noticed that? They don't say that because that doesn't sell magazines. You are not good enough. Wow, I really want to read that. But actually, if you think about it, they suggest to you that you're not quite as good maybe as the person who's on the front cover. You're not quite as beautiful. Or in most of our cases, no, actually, I will not say most. That's not fair. In my case, I'm a long way from being good-looking enough as that person on the front cover. That Somehow, maybe I'm not wealthy enough, or I'm not using my money well enough, or I'm not looking the right way, or I'm not thinking the right way, or my relationships are not quite good enough. There's this underlying sense that you are not quite there. You need to change in some way. And good news, if you buy this magazine, we will tell you the answers. You will be changed. And we know because we've all fallen for it in some way. It might not be a magazine, it might be a book. You know, it could be even some Christian, Christian pastors, you know, your new life now. Mm-hmm. And we got started on that one. Because you know what? Change doesn't quite come so easily. But our culture is all about change. It's all about improvement. It's all about transformation. And I would say a hearty amen when it comes to church and Christianity. We are all about transformation apart from God's plan for us is to become more like Jesus. Jesus living the life that we can't live and yet dying the death that we should die so that we can have the life. So we can be transformed. That's God's plan. And the scriptures have, uh, have, uh, are filled with um, with 
with encouragements and challenges as to how we change. It's called sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. But the question has to be, how do we actually see this come about? We've just got back from uh, a week or so in Phoenix, which was wonderful, and we, we loved every moment of it. We were able to relax, Sarah and I, and we did some biking and hiking and found some scorpions, found one at the bottom of the pool. That was an experience. It's like, ooh. So then, uh, you know, I, I scooped it out. I'd love to tell you it was like this big. It actually was. It was really small. But I researched and found out the smaller scorpion, the more deadly they are. But apparently, once they're dead, they can't inject you. So, uh, so that, was, that was good news. But I didn't want to test it out. But one of the things that we did find about American eating out, and I'm sure many of you know what I'm going to say, is the size of the meals. It's like I'm looking at this plate and I'm going, man, I just want to eat it, not climb it. Look at the size of this thing. Like, you know, I could, I could feed a small family just with these fries. Now, of course, you don't because you eat all of them. You're on holiday. Who cares? And then so you get home and you get on the scales and you're like, oh, you know, and you've heard the, the, the statement, you are what you eat, right? And sometimes you're like, oh, I'm feeling sick. Well, plate of fries, my friend. Well, our culture is based upon this statement. You are what you think. You might have heard it. You might have heard this idea that the way you think, if you could just change your thinking, then you will change your life. PMA, positive mental attitude. I think, therefore, I am. Descartes. Our education system is based on this. I used to be a teacher uh, for many years. I, I taught, and, and, it's, and unfortunately, and even though we know this is the case, that education is geared towards the kids, of which there aren't many, by the way, that it's just, let's just cram as much information in these brains, give them a test, and then send them off into life so they can realize that most of what they learned in school they'll never use again, apart from percentages, and, you know, and, and I guess if you're an engineer and you like doing algorithms and all that kind of stuff, and that's fine. But for me, I go, well, what did I... What did I actually learn? I learned how to learn, but we just cram information into the brains because if we can change the way we think, then we will change our lives, we'll actually be transformed. I started doing some research about education, and, and uh, I, I found out that uh, this last couple of weeks that there's been something banned in a particular school in Britain, in, in Surrey. They banned triangular cereal bars. Or as we call them in Britain, flapjacks. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm being absolutely serious right now. There was a letter sent home to say, please provide your child uh, square, round, or rectangular flapjacks, not triangular ones, because triangular ones are dangerous. I'm like, really? Is that what our education system has come to? Because handstands have been banned in Britain. I preached a few years ago about a game called Conkers, that's been banned. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you can research that. Uh, you, the, uh, even the, um, what you, the spinners, they were banned. Like, you know, we just kind of mollycoddle our kids and wrap them up in this kind of protective bubble wrap and send them off to school. Triangular flapjacks. And there's actually an interview with the head teacher where the head teacher is talking about triangular flapjacks like they are some lethal weapon. It's fantastic. I'm thinking education at its best. It makes me proud to be British. 
Meanwhile, there's a 7-year-old kid who's just passed his math A-level, which is what you take at 18 to get into university, just passed it. He can speak four languages. And I'm like, I can speak four languages. i, I got nothing on this. You know, I, I can speak English. I can speak loud. I can speak underwater, if I try hard. And I can speak sarcasm. So, you've got four languages. i got four languages. No big deal. But this idea of education being about our thinking... Is really ingrained in our society. It's also ingrained in church. A lot of churches' discipleship programs are based on the idea, if we can just give you information, it will change your thinking. In fact, if you just repeat these scriptures over and over and over and over again, it will change your thinking, it will change your life. And I looked at the scriptures and I see actually that is not true. And the reason I know it's not true is this. Does changing your thinking actually bring long-term change? Because here's the deal. We know what is the right thing to do, but we still do the wrong thing. Don't we? We know the right information. We know what is right and wrong, and yet we still choose to do the wrong thing. So basic logic says, just because you know something, just because you have the information about something, does not mean to, it does not mean that it's going to bring life change. We know what to do, we know what is right, but we still don't do it. So information does not equal transformation. So are you hearing me say that I don't think information and teaching is important? No, I'm a teacher. This is what I'm doing right now. I am giving you information. But if it terminates on itself, and you just leave here today thinking, wow, I've learned some really cool things, I in some way have, have, have failed to give you the correct message because even the scriptures say that they, they, these things have been written so they might believe... And then so they might have life in his name. There has to be a a part two. Information does not equal transformation. It's important, but it's not enough. So knowing the right thing to do, but still doing the wrong thing, creates something else in our life. It actually creates guilt and shame. Because we know this is how we should be as a person. We know this is how we should be as a Christian. We know that this activity is not good for us. We know that we shouldn't be doing this or we should do that. Or, and we have all these knowledge-based ideas that we know to be right and true. We don't do them. And then guilt and shame come into our lives. And so then we tend to avoid the right thing even more because we start associating guilt and shame with the right thing. So what does the Bible say about how change brings about? How, how do we actually see transformation? So let's turn to Mark chapter 10. I want to read this story. I actually taught on Mark a little while ago, and we did actually center on this scripture. And I want to do a little bit of a reminder for us. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 27. Still getting to that question. As he was setting out on a journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit the life? And there's the question. No, that's not the question. Verse 18, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, 
follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. So let's ask a question. Maybe if we could just put the first part of that scripture up again, please, Dwayne. Uh, he was setting out on a journey and then he says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So what is it this young man wants? See, the quick answer would be he wants eternal life. And, and you know what? There is absolutely evidence for that in that scripture. It says right there, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he wants eternal life. He wants what Jesus is offering. He wants Christianity, if you like. Absolutely 100% true. However, he left Jesus saddened because what Jesus threw back at him was a question. And he left sad because the rich young ruler or this young man's problem was not his question. It wasn't his thinking. He understood that in order to find some freedom, to find eternal life, there was answer in Jesus. So he had the right information. In fact, he goes on in the passage to say, since I was a young man, I knew all these things, Jesus. So lack of information is not this young man's problem. Agreed? He has been to church every Sunday. He has been to pursuit school. He's been on YWAM. He's been to Bible school. He reads his Bible. In fact, it actually says in, 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 uh, in history that he probably not only knew it, he learned it. So he has all this brilliant information. He is your perfect Bible student, which I all encourage you to be, by the way. But it wasn't enough. His problem wasn't lack of information. His problem was that he was desiring and longing after the wrong things. That was his problem. Because the clue is right at the bottom of the passage where it says that he went away saddened. Why? For he was one who owned much property. So, Glenn, Pastor Glenn is saying, if you own a lot of property, therefore it is wrong And so therefore, God doesn't like money. No, that's not what the Bible says at all. In fact, the Bible says that uh, it's not money that's wrong. It's the love of money. It's the desiring after. That's the issue this young man has got. In fact, so much so that what he is desiring, what he is wanting, is actually controlling his life decision. He is making a decision right there on what he wants. So his question about what do I want? How do I inherit eternal life? Is something he wants, but he has a bigger want. He has a bigger desire. And that desire was actually to make his possessions first. That was his desire. That was what he really wanted. And so when Jesus comes and he challenges that, his first response is to actually make a decision based on what he really wants controlled his life direction, it controls his choices, and ultimately, sadly, it controlled his faith. He has, you can write this down, he has disordered desires that have devastating consequences. Disordered desires equal devastating consequences. See, in John 1 and verse 35, 
says this. This is, this is the first thing that John talks about. This is the first red letter, if you like, that Jesus says that John records. And he says this, the next day, verse 35 in John 1, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus and Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What is it that you are seeking? Some versions say, what is it you want? There's our question. What is it you really want? Not, Jesus didn't turn around and go, who are you? Our society asks that question. Our society asks, well, what is it you do? And we think what we do defines what we actually are. Jesus doesn't ask that question. In fact, Jesus asks this question in a number of different ways. Do you love me? He asks it all through the New Testament. What do you really want? Because this rich young ruler had just showed his cards by showing Jesus what he really wanted was possessions and money, not eternal life. And so Jesus is asking right at the beginning of John the most devastatingly important question that we can ask ourselves above all questions. Friends, Willow Park Church South, what is it that you really, really want? Because that question will dictate your choices. It will dictate who you are, what you do, what kind of parent you are, what kind of husband you are, what kind of wife you are, what kind of husband and wife you will be, what kind of friend you are, how you react. What you really want will dictate all those things. And then I said it's a really hard question to answer because we actually think we want eternal life. You see, what Jesus has this brilliant ability to do is that when you consider Jesus, he starts asking the real questions. You cannot come into contact with Jesus without being challenged. And Jesus challenged, what do you want? Do you really love me? What do you really want? What do you really want? Not what you say you want, but what do you really want? Because remember what I said, if you have disordered desires, you can have devastating consequences. If what you want is not actually in the, uh, in, the, in the scheme of things of what we've been created for, and we'll talk about that in a second, then we'll have devastating consequences. So what do you really want? See, we've been created, and I wish I could jump into this, and I have preached on this before. We've been created by God, a loving, merciful, patient, beautiful God. And Genesis says that we were created in His image. And He didn't create us first and foremost to be thinking creatures. He created us to be desiring creatures, people who loved. So first and foremost, we're lovers, not thinkers. I think, therefore I am, is not actually true what you are is defined by what you want if there was ever a question you should be scribbling down and texting to yourself is that what do you really want not what you say you want but what do you really want because you were created to want to desire and by the way we all want something another way of saying it is we all worship something there are no such things as atheists. Let me say that again. If you, somebody says to you, you're an atheist, you can kind of go, mm, no, you're not. Yeah, I am. No, no, you're not. How, do I con- how can I say that? 
with absolute surety there are no such things as atheists because everybody has a God. Everybody. Everybody wants something. Everybody worships something. Everybody has a focus on something. The challenge is, is defining what that is because we become very, very good at saying the right things to the right people. And I said right at the beginning, the answer to this question, please listen to this, you might not be able to write it down today. By the end of next week's sermon, I'm praying that you will. You might not be able to write it down today, but can I tell you, the answer to the what you really want emerges out of your life in every aspect. It emerges. See, what you want will show up. So let me make a statement. I think it's going to appear behind me. You are what you deeply desire. You are what you deeply desire. You will worship what you deeply desire desire. You can be like this rich young ruler and say, hey, you know what? I want eternal life. I want Christianity. I want Jesus. I want all that. But the reality is what you're actually doing is worshiping something else. You want something else. And that will emerge out of your life. And can I tell you, parents, and this is scary, the best people in the world to be able to tell what it is that you really want are your kids because they live with you through the snot and the trouble They see it all. And you can say whatever you want. You can place church as your highest priority with your mouth. You can say, hey, Jesus is my priority. God is my priority. And yet everything in life, the real want emerges. It seeps through and lays as a thick layer on your life. Now, that could be a good thing because if you can align your wants with what you've been created to be, wow, buckle up, world, because you've got somebody who is actually in alignment with what they were created and purposed to be and everything comes in alignment to that, then that will also show itself. But if what you really want is in disalignment, is that a word? Unalignment? Disalignment? Help me. Disalignment. Thank you, love. Misalignment. See, I told you that written down. If it's in misalignment, I think that's sexist. If it's in disalignment, and I'm starting a new word to be politically correct. If it's not in alignment with what God wants you to be, that too will sit on your life. And people will see it. They'll hear it. They'll notice it. If it is something in that is not Jesus, if it is not God, if it's not what you were created to be, and we believe we're going to unpack this over the next few years, you've been cre- over the next few weeks, you have been, um, you've been uh, created to be a godly uh, man or woman of God, glorifying Him. You were created for that. And if you're over here saying, oh yeah, no, that's me, but you're here, it's obvious. Might not be obvious to Pastor Glenn, it's obvious to the people who are closest in life to you. It will show itself. If what you really want is money, it will show itself. If what you really want is somehow for your failings to be corrected through your children, then that will show itself. In fact, I will go as far as saying this, the most loving, and I've said this many times in different forms, the most loving thing that you can do for your children is to not make them your want. Let me say that again. 
the most loving thing you can do. I'll change it so it's more in alignment with this statement. The most loving thing that you can do for your children is not make them your deepest desire. Like we are... No, I'm not going to go down that. We'll talk more about parenting and stuff down the line. But your deepest desire will show itself. In a positive way, though, that is fundamentally and incredibly powerful. See, Jesus didn't say, who are you? He says, what do you want? In Proverbs 4 and verse 23, it says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. The heart in the Bible is the center of your being, the core of who you are, where your desires come from. So not the blah, 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 the actual who you are is centered in the heart. And so when the Bible talks about the heart, and he says, keep your heart with all vigilance, work hard on making sure that your heart is in alignment with what God wants, then from it flows the springs of life. Guard your heart, not your mind. That comes later, but first and foremost, let me tell you, your thinking actually is important, but first and foremost, we have to change your desires in order to see you transformed. We have to change your desires to see you transformed. Why is that? Why do we change desires to see transformation? Parents, you, you can resonate with this. You can give your kid all the information. You can give them the best education. You can give them every opportunity. You can just give them, you can sit down and you can talk, especially when they get into those teenage years, and you can reason and you can just, you can pray over, you can do everything you can to try and guide them, hold them accountable, encourage them. And these are all good things. But unless there is a desire change, you know, well, as I do, it's not that all that is a waste of time. That's important. But the desire change is what really leads to transformation in their lives. How does that happen? Oh, Glenn, if you could just tell me. How do you change someone's desires? That's next week. You have to come back next week. I, um, I have a background as well as an education in marketing. I ran a marketing firm for, for many years and business identity and branding and, and, um, and communication has always been something I've been involved in in different ways, both verbally and also visually. And if you notice, marketers are extremely clever. They go after your heart, not after your mind. They present an image to you that makes you go, oh, I want that. It's not, they're not going after your mind. They're going after your emotion. They're going after your desire. And I love Christmas because as you get closer to Christmas, I saw my first Christmas advert on TV uh, about a week and a half ago. And I, and I couldn't change it. I'm like, oh, Christmas. It's October. I don't care. It's Christmas. It's coming. I love Christmas. But you know one of my favorite things about Christmas, other than I'll give you the godly answer, one of my favorite things is celebrating the birth of Jesus. And all the aftershave and perfume adverts. Because I think they're hilarious. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, you've got some good-looking, kind of mystical-eyed, thoughtful dude running along a beach with flappy things and wispiness. And then this beautiful other creature on the other side of the beach kind of rolling around wet in the sand you're like well okay that's that's uncomfortable but anyway and you've got all this imagery and then it comes chanel oh i gotta get me some chanel because then i will be all that in a bottle 
you know? And we fall for it, don't we? Think about TV adverts, car adverts. If I could just have that car, I'll be free. I'll be able to drive anywhere I want to drive. You can do that now. Just get in your car. You might not get very far, but you can give it a go. Your old clunker will also drive, but no, I need that car. Because look, I will too look like Matthew McConaughey if I drive that car. What are they doing? They're appealing to your heart, not to your mind. I mean, I could go on and on. Open your eyes. I'm sure you have. But look at how we're marketed to. It's a heart thing because we are desiring creatures. We are pulled by what we desire, not pushed by what we think. Let me say that again. We are pulled by our desires, not pushed by our thinking because we know as parents or as employers you can, or as, as mums and dads or brothers and sisters or friends, you can push somebody and it just doesn't work. But if they're pulled, they're pulled by their own desires. So how do we change our desires? That's next week. So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to seriously consider what is it that you really want. See, the scriptures constantly talk and ask questions. And and oftentimes, God is the one that asks the question. Jesus asked the rich young ruler this question. Is that because Jesus doesn't know? Jesus knows. Who was that question for? And this generally is a good, um, good thing to remember when you're reading the scriptures. If you see God asking a question, like in the garden, when he was coming through the garden of Eden, and he's asking Adam and Eve, where are you? Is that because Jesus, that God actually doesn't know where they are? Well, they were, they're really good at hiding. I mean, I'm omnipresent, but they got me. Anyone seen Adam? I mean, he's tall, he's got no clothes, he's hard to miss. He, he knows where they are. The question is not for him, the question is for them. Where are you? Jesus is asking this question, what, what is it you really want? So I encourage you this week. This is why I encourage you to bring your journals and your Bibles. And over the next few weeks, I want you to keep coming back with your journal and your Bible because we're going we're gonna to look through this lens of what is it you really want as we look at how life change happens and how we can be better parents, how we can be better employees. Not that we can just put in great new self-help practices because that's thinking, but how do you actually change a desire? so that we can actually see real-life transformation. I, as a pastor, I'm interested in that. Because changed lives equals changed communities and changed families, changed marriages, changed cities. It starts with the desire. How do you change a desire? Now, I also want to encourage you to do this. Don't please think, great, I need some tools because I need to change him. Or I need to change her. In fact, I've got, a whole, I've got a whole team of people that I need to change their desires, my friend. Bring it on. I need to know. I, let's forget about everyone else. I, I just want you to think about you. When it all goes quiet and you switch everything off, and you close down your devices, and you switch the TV off or the radio, whatever it might be, and it's just you and your thoughts, what is it you really want? Don't think in terms of job. Think in terms of life. What do you really want in life? And there's no one else listening apart from God, who, by the way, already knows the answer. 
So this is what will happen. Is as if you maybe you're journaling or you're thinking this through. What will happen in your brain? And this is part of the beautiful thing of being human. We're able to think about our thoughts. I mean, my dog Buddy can't do that. I mean, he, I'm, anyway, animals very, very different. We can think about our thoughts, about our thoughts, about our thoughts on things. And so what will happen is, is you'll start thinking, you'll go, mm, no, you know what? I think it's more than that. And you'll peel it away, and there'll be another thought, and there'll be another one, and there'll be another one. And then when you actually land what you really want, it will resonate with the Spirit of God, and you'll know. You'll know. And then next week, what we're going to do is actually going to identify how do you actually find these things out, how do you confirm them, and how do you bring change. And then for the rest of the series, we're actually going to be putting that into practice. How do we put that knowledge into practice when it comes to our parenting or into our finances or into our uh, actual corporate worship? What does that look like? But for this week, what do you really want? Because your wants and your desires shape your life. So it's a pretty important question. It's a great question to actually ask if you're married or ask in a community group. But I tell you, if you're doing it with somebody else, there'll come a point when suddenly what you say you want actually isn't the crux of the matter. I said earlier on as I bring this to a close, the beautiful thing about the Bible and about Jesus and the God of the Bible is that this whole book is really just one story. And it's the story of the love of God as shown through His Son, Jesus. This book is about the gospel. This book is not first and foremost a manual or instructions or anything like that. This book, first and foremost, is the book of God, in the beginning God, not in the beginning Glenn. In the beginning God, and it's the story of how He in mercy and patience continually pursues us through his son Jesus Christ and what I love when I read the scriptures and I encourage you to do it on a regular basis our community group has committed to read through the scriptures together uh, using the read scripture app and so each week when we get together one of the first questions we ask is what did God show you in in the passages we read and what's great is because we're all reading the same thing and there's no drive-by guilting so if people fall behind we're not like well we're not talking to you you're no longer in the community group it's it's just you know it's just open forum and we share what God is telling us through the scriptures and here's what's beautiful when you read this bible it reads you it exposes me it actually asks me the question, Glenn, what do you really want? And some of you here today have never come into a living relationship with Jesus. And the reason that I can say that with confidence is because by faith I know that every week somebody here comes and they're exploring and they're thinking about what faith looks like. And there's this kind of it resonates with what I'm saying and they're like, yes. But you know that you have other wants. You know that Jesus is not Lord of your life. You know that Jesus is not captain of the ship. That you're off in a life preserver vest somewhere in the middle of the Pacific. And you just feel alone. And you see, this same story that asks us the question, what do you really want, says, you know, what is keeping you distant from Christ is your own habitual constant sin. 
that we feel shame and we feel guilt because we know what we've done, we know what we've said, and we're even horrified that we did and said these things. And, and yet God says, look, listen, you come to me through my son Jesus, through the cross, and I'll explain that in a second, then all of that gets taken away. And you can actually have a relationship and we can, we can align. And what you want can be aligned with what I want, God says. And suddenly there will be peace and there'll be rest and there'll be forgiveness. What a beautiful gift. Nothing I've done, nothing I've said makes me deserve that. It's all about the cross. Jesus dying on the cross, our sin, our guilt, our shame, all those things that we just wish. What was I thinking? All those things get placed on the cross with Jesus and they die, done, gone in Him. The Bible says if you believe, you confess with your mouth, you truly believe that that is the truth for you and your life, then He will forgive you and then you and God now are in alignment. And then the process starts of looking at our lives and our wants and our desires and bring them into alignment. But if you don't have Jesus and you're just desperately trying to align your life and get your wants right, you will never succeed. Never. You will be destined for guilt and shame for the rest of your life and ultimately in eternity too. So as we come to the end of our time together, I've said several times over the last few weeks, this is just one aspect of overall church. This is just our large gathering. Our real church is everyday church. Is What does this look like on an everyday basis? But what a beautiful opportunity for us as a gathering to come before him and to ask that question, Lord, I pray that you would show me what it is that I really want. And maybe God's already pinpointing things. And you can ask for forgiveness. You can confess. And if you don't know Jesus then the ultimate party in heaven is waiting to start. That you coming to him. You know, the scripture says that, right? That heaven celebrates when somebody comes to know Jesus. That can be you. Right as we sing, you just confess, Lord, I'm sorry, I need you. And then you need to tell someone. You need to confess it. You need to actually tell somebody, hey, I said that prayer, would you pray for me? And there'll be people at the end who would love to pray for you, some leaders and some elders who make themselves available at the front. I'm always torn. I want to be here, and I also want to say hi to people. So this morning, I'm actually going to be at the back saying goodbye to everybody, but there will be people here to pray with you, and we want to pray for you. What do you really want? Let's pray. Lord, this, this is a weighty and yet exhilarating question. And we're thankful, Lord, that your scripture guides us towards this question of really digging into the core of who we are. And Lord, I'm thankful that you just don't just leave us there. You ask the question and then you give the answer. And then you ultimately give the ultimate answer. And so, Father, I pray 
this morning as the result of some of the words that I've shared, that God, you would take these words and you would plant them firmly and deeply into the hearts and souls and spirits of everybody in this room, everybody who's going to hear online. But God, we would consider before you, as your scripture says, that we would examine ourselves. And Lord, I pray through that process there will be joy, there will be peace, there will be rest. Lord, I also recognize that it often starts with conviction. God, I, I know that I have wants and desires that are not in alignment with your best for me. Show me them, Lord. Continue to reveal them to me so I can confess, ask for forgiveness. And Lord, I thank you that you empower me you change my desires. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're going to sing. Before we do that, I do want to encourage you to come back next week. And here's the reason why. There are specific things the Scripture tells us that we can do on a practical basis that will change our desires. And this is where scripture and modern science come in alignment. So actually, I believe science is just catching up with scripture. It's like, oh, that, yeah, we've known that for a couple of thousand years, but good for you. You know, um, and I'm not criticizing scientists. I just love it that, that, that science confirms scripture. And so we're going to jump into that next week, but I really am praying for you this week. And I say that in absolute truth. As a pastor, I pray for you. I have a list of names. This is part of the reason why I encourage you, because you get prayed for if you fill one of these out. I'm praying that God will speak to you this week. What is it you really want? And then next week, we're going to get to work. We're going to get to work. With the Holy Spirit, we're going to get to work. Does that sound good? Three of you, yes. So we'll do it in a small group in the art room. It'll be good. No, I'm joking. It'll be great. So let's stand together. Let's sing. Let's get everyday church, week church started.